inside Africa. Go inside the inventive minds, evolving places, and creative trends of the Africa you need to know now. In South Africa, pioneers transformed the wellness business into an inclusive space for all. We had similar experience of being in wellness spaces and feeling othered. Inside Africa on CNN, in association with Zenith Bank. Next time on The Whole Story, Pamela Brown examines claims from women who say a now discontinued baby powder was the cause of their cancer. I blame Johnson & Johnson. I wanted to sue them. Johnson & Johnson is at the center of this, so it is essential to hear from this lawyer who has been defending Johnson & Johnson in court. We can say with 100% certainty our talc is safe and does not cause cancer. You can't bring back a life, but you can show compassion. The Whole Story with Anderson Cooper, Sunday on CNN. This is CNN. More people get their news from CNN than any other news source. Oh, well, welcome to First Move, coming to you live once again from London. And a special Royal Road Trip edition of the programme for you this Friday. Coming up, we'll be driving down Apple Results Boulevard, the April Jobs Report Highway, and last but not least, Coronation Street. We'll have a raw lineup of guests ahead as we preview King Charles III's coronation on Saturday and an entire weekend of celebrations across the United Kingdom and around the world. Joining us over the next hour, Nicholas Lyons, the Lord Mayor of London, who will be a key participant in tomorrow's ceremony at Westminster Abbey, and Patricia Yates, the CEO of Visit Britain and Visit England, the UK's national tourism agency, who's anticipating a whopping $400 million boost plus to tourism during the weekend of royal commemorations. We're also likely to get a glimpse of King Charles this hour as he welcomes government leaders from the Commonwealth nations. No rest on the big day before the big event and the crowning event, of course, for global investors today. The April U.S. jobs report just released numbers show the United States adding a much better than expected 253,000 jobs net last month. Got to be a little bit cautious of prior month revisions, though, and we'll discuss that. Wage growth was also hotter than expected. Great news for U.S. workers. But the numbers perhaps do complicate somewhat the picture for the Federal Reserve after hinting earlier this week that they may be ready to pause those rate hikes going forward. U.S. futures have been higher in the meantime all morning. And here is the picture. We remain in positive territory pre-market for now. But a rough week for the U.S. majors with the Dow dipping into negative territory for the year, due in part to ongoing fears about the health of regional banks and banks like PacWest and Western Alliance all gaining ground pre-market, recapturing a fraction of recent losses. Western Alliance now refuting reports. It's exploring some kind of sale. Plenty to begin the show with. And just to begin, I did promise you that we would get a glimpse of King Charles III. And there we have it. A royal welcome there for visitors on the mall. You can hear the cheers, shaking hands with people and th thanking them for uh, coming a day early. For many of these people, of course, a lot of people camping out as well. And in the background, I don't know whether we can actually hear what people are saying, but you can certainly hear. I think that lady was telling him where she was from, but I didn't quite hear it. But certainly travelled somewhat a distance to come and see him. And what a moment 
to be able to shake his hand and say hello. We're just going to continue to watch him as he makes his way down the crowd. <laughs> Picking up flags there ahead of uh, hopefully shaking his hand. And this, of course, no rest on the day before the big coronation, as I mentioned earlier. He's been meeting leaders of the Commonwealth nations now, of course, as I mentioned, out on the mall, surrounded by security, but meeting those well-wishers. We'll just stay looking again and see if we can hear any of what he's saying. <laughs> this is where I need my lip reading skills and I, uh, I don't have them. But I tell you what, he looks relaxed and he looks happy. And you can see him there, just very relaxed, shaking hands with everybody, personal comments, joking with the crowds as well. He's clearly enjoying this moment. I think that's um, very clear. And the sunshine is out as well after a torrential rain earlier, so they clearly timed this well as well. Big smiles. And I don't think we're going to be able to get a glimpse as uh, King Charles speaks to a man, clearly a supporter there, in a hat, Union Jack, covered in badges. Wow. Very animated there. At some point we may get a glimpse of Prince William and Kate, who I believe are also on the mall there shaking hands. So if we get a glimpse of them, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, but I do believe Anna Stewart is with us as well. Anna, the day before the big event, but no rest for King Charles out on the mall greeting people and clearly plenty of supporters there awaiting him. I think you're joining us from Westminster Abbey. I'm sure everybody's left and have headed over to the mall, at least for today, to uh, see what they can see. <laughs> I know, tricky to know where to go, isn't it? Damn it, I'm in yes. the wrong location, but only for today, because <laughs> actually Westminster Abbey is definitely where it all happens tomorrow. But I'm just looking at those pictures now of King Charles. Look at how happy all those well-wishers are. These yes. are likely people who have turned out. Many of them may well have camped, trying to get their spot ahead of time. We're told the Princess of Wales is also on the mall right now, speaking to people, and has actually said that her plan is to go, I quote, go wherever the fun is. Um, so that sounds like this royal walkabout will be very engaging. Um, it's been a busy day, you know. This is the day before the coronation, you know, a huge event, the first in 70 years. King Charles and Queen Camilla have had rehearsals. Uh, we've seen some royal uh, escorted cars heading to Westminster Abbey earlier this morning. There are also, of course, plenty of heads of state and dignitaries who've travelled from all over the world to be here. Uh, and many of those will be hosted at Buckingham Palace later today. So quite a busy day for our King Charles III ahead of this huge ceremony tomorrow. No doubt he'll be uh, looking for an early night, I imagine. Oh, look, he's uh, some lots of flags there, lots of people. And you know what? It's not, 
I know you're in the studio right now. I can tell you the British weather it has not been kind. It may look sunny in these pictures right now, but it has been torrential rain on and off all morning. I know. I mentioned that. It certainly looks threatening when I looked out of the window earlier, Anna. And, and you were just mentioning, actually, people camping out. We just saw what looked like two sheets of tarpaulin next to each other. Look, you can see that in the background of the shop with pegs <laughs> on them. So that's certainly a makeshift tent, but someone's persevering nonetheless. Do you know what I noticed? And just as you were talking, we saw it there. The picture just froze briefly. But ladies in bonnets covered in flowers and, and one of them in, in red just had a what seemed to be a very lovely exchange. And King Charles patted her hand at the end, whatever she told him. So it's a very warm King Charles. As we were both discussing, he looks very happy. He looks very comfortable uh, in this position. Look, another bonnet there, another red bonnet. This is an immense moment, <laughs> I think, for these people that were hoping to see something of the coronation tomorrow. But a day early, they actually get to speak to the king, meet the king, shake hands with the king. For those that, to your point, that have travelled all this distance to see him, what an incredible moment a day ahead of the coronation to be able to share some words with him. And getting to shake his hand. I mean, you're seeing there people shaking the king's hand. And I have to say, the late queen was unlikely to ever actually make sort of physical contact necessarily with crowds like this. Oh, we're seeing Prince William uh -huh. now, the Prince of Wales, also yes. out and about. Here we go. Uh, someone's got a lovely little gold crown on, I think. Uh, It'll look a little uh, sad compared to some of the crowns we'll be seeing tomorrow. I've also been noticing lots of flags. People from overseas have come for this. When I was covering the diamond, uh, the, sorry, the platinum jubilee last year, what really amazed me was how many people actually travelled to the UK to witness one of these big royal events, a moment in history, really. Um, someone just kissing King Charles's hand there. Wow, look at those crowds. Aren't they lucky? Mm. You know, we've actually seen similar things in the past. When we had the Queen's lying in state, the late Queen Elizabeth II, the lying in state queues, uh, Prince Charles, or King Charles as he had just become then, actually visited the crowds who were waiting in line. Uh, so did the Prince of Wales. So this isn't actually unheard of. I almost expected it. I said to my producer this morning, I wonder, I wonder if we'll see any uh, royal visits today, but actually, of course, not where I am at Westminster Abbey, along the Mall, where people are allowed to camp out and be ready for the big day tomorrow. And it's going to be huge. That Mall is going to have nearly 7,000 military personnel, 5,000, 6,000 will be part of the procession, 1,000 will line that route. Front to back, the military procession will be an entire mile. You're now seeing the Princess of Wales speaking to more well-wishers. Um, that's the first time we've seen her on this feed. Uh, I believe there was actually a lunch at Buckingham Palace for Governors General and Prime Ministers of the Commonwealth. So they've, uh, they've actually had a pretty busy day. And there will be more events later today within Buckingham Palace because they're hosting so many of the heads of state who have travelled here, especially for the coronation. Yes, and we just saw uh, King Charles cross over the mall as well to speak to crowds on the other side, who I'm sure are delighted having watched him, watched him progress. You're just seeing him now yeah. sharing a joke, a back and forth with a lady there who was laughing out loud. <laughs> Again, I just, we have to reiterate, and you made such a great point about the kind of crowds that we saw for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II and the support that we saw there. And same again here for those that are perhaps questioning support for the monarchy. That's certainly not evident in what we're yeah. seeing in terms of the sheer quantity of the crowds the day, a day before the uh, official coronation event. Big smiles, clearly great joy and people 
being happy to see him. Admittedly, these are the most buoyant of supporters, but certainly this is a great showcase, I think, for the country and support for him too. And we were just seeing images, as, as you were talking, of course, as well, of... Um, of Kate and William, and she always manages to engage with families, I think, and children as well, which is quite nice. And there was a very shy little girl back there as well, which I'm sure she'll remember <laughs> meeting a future queen one day. There was day a much well. less shy little girl, I think, last week who actually took her handbag in one of these walkabouts, which was an absolutely hilarious moment. Uh, put, it, put it in the child's mouth as well. Uh, what's beautiful about this, just seeing all the back and forth, is it's really trying to engage with the public. And you're right, there has been mm. some criticism of a coronation. Not everyone is on board with a ceremony that is, you know, incredibly exclusive and elitist because that's what it is. It's the anointing of a king by God. Of course, many people in the UK don't uh, have Christian faith, but they are doing what they can, I fear, the royal family, to engage people where they can. And we've seen that in the last few days. We'll certainly see it, I think, uh, tomorrow with a huge procession. We'll see on Sunday with the street parties. On Monday, there's a huge volunteer effort all this, I think, to try and make sure that people feel included in this event, which could otherwise feel purely elitist and exclusive. Uh, and it's an ancient ritual, and tomorrow there will be a lot to it that is very, very solemn. So also creating the celebratory moments around it, I think, is important at this point. Yes, and to make that outreach and to make it, as to your point, multicultural and, and multi-faith too. Um, I want to bring in world correspondent Max mm. Foster, who joins us outside Buckingham Palace as well. Max, I'm sure you've been watching these pictures. And I think my strongest observation, and I keep saying it, but it is a strong one, is um, how relaxed he looks and how he's enjoying the moment. And clearly the people that are getting to shake hands with him a day before the coronation uh, feel the same too. Yeah, so he's always lived in the shadows, hasn't he, of his mother. Uh, this is the first big state event, which is entirely his own. So I think you're right. I mean, I was at a garden party with the king and queen early in the week. They were in very buoyant form. Uh, recently, I was in Germany and I spoke to both of them, and they are on very positive form about the future. They feel that they have a strong monarchy ahead of them. And this is the big event, the big branding exercise, where they introduce themselves to a global media. I mean, there are cameras here from all over the world. Uh, many networks around the world are going to be um, enrolling coverage for hours around this event. It's a big opportunity for him to present himself to the world and uh, also to the United Kingdom as not just their king but also the head of the Church of England. Uh, ultimately, as um, Anna was suggesting, this is a, a solemn event at the heart of it, the, uh, where he's anointed with holy oil and becomes God's representative on earth. Nothing less than that. Uh, it's a pretty profound moment for him. That's why we won't see that particular moment. But around it, a huge amount of theatre and pomp and pageantry, the likes of which, which we haven't seen since the last coronation. Uh, so this place will be full of 4,000 troops on parade, another 3,000 lining the route. It will be absolutely spectacular. Uh, biggest party you can really imagine. And that theatre is something that Britain's pretty good at, but at the centre of it, obviously, this very holy moment as well. It really goes back to a time when, you know, there, it, there wasn't an automatic right to the throne. It was disputed often. So there was this massive presentation of a king on the uh, coronation chair and all of the crown jewels receiving that and the world seeing it. So it's an extension of that, but with a modern twist. Yeah, it was quite nice to just, um, I'm sure you heard it there as you were speaking, the 
cheers of the crowd as he crossed over once again and um, approached um, a separate group of people, all with their phones raised. I mean, one of the big differences, I think, between the coronation that we've all seen in in film of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, is that all these individuals will have ha captured it on their uh, on their mobile phones. There are a lot of selfies being taken. Um, and he, to your point, clearly enjoying this moment and being really for the first time on not a solemn occasion, the centre stage and truly in the spotlight and the limelight. Yeah, so obviously the, I think the, the pageantry will pull people in on the day tomorrow because it will be truly spectacular. But then there's the separate story about Charles and the kind of monarch that he's going to be and whether he can use this opportunity to really express himself and as a person, uh, you know, away from his mother, away from his children, away from Diana even, uh, really asserting himself as an individual. Uh, he feels that he's very confident and can have a very strong reign. There's no suggestion that William's going to take over anytime soon. I don't think he really wants that either. Uh, and uh, I think there will be a really poignant moment tomorrow when um, the one person that's going to pledge allegiance and kneel down in front of the king will be the Prince of Wales, uh, William. And then, of course, we've got this public homage, which has been pretty controversial, where the, you know, the wider world is invited um, to um, pay their homage to the new king as well. Whether or not people do that or not, I think will be a, a quite an interesting test. But, you know, all the people that you're seeing, Charles... Uh, with at the moment are, you know, they are the super fans, Julia. They're at the front yeah. of that particular section who've been <laughs> camping out for days. They're not necessarily <laughs> representative of wider society. Yeah, I think we'll see from the viewing the figures and the social media <laughs> reaction. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they I are right up there in terms point, of the Matt. homage. Yeah, look at that. A final wave there and a final cheer. Just, Max, before I let you go, I do think the point you were making there is, is very important as we see him now walking back through the gates and, uh, and the crowd's giving him a final cheer. And they are clearly, and she, as you quite rightly point out, the super fans. Um, talk to us about that homage. And, and I think perhaps some of the misunderstanding and the message that the royal family was, and King Charles was trying to send with that, and perhaps some of the perception, particularly in the media, that this was um, something that was supposed to be uh, less elitist, in traditional form where peers would swear allegiance and actually opening it out to, to individuals across, across the nation and the Commonwealth. A misunderstanding, perhaps, in Yeah, messaging. so it didn't go, yeah, it didn't go, go down particularly well, this idea that the public would be asked to pay homage. That's how it was interpreted in the media here. Actually, if you look at what they said, they wanted to invite uh, people at home around the world to pay, if they wanted to be part of that moment. And this was part of the idea of inclusivity that they're trying to integrate into the whole of this very ancient service. So bring other religious leaders into uh, the ceremony, for example, uh, bring female bishops in, bring children into the service as well, trying to involve as many people as possible. And there is this poignant moment after um, the king is crowned uh, where traditionally you would have uh, lords and peers paying homage to the king, so showing his authority over the land. And they wanted to get rid of that because they felt it was outdated and they wanted to bring the public in instead and they would be invited to pay homage in their own way at that moment. So that's where the, con uh, the, the you know, the, a lot of people feeling pretty upset that they're being told to pay homage. I don't think that's what they intended. So they did mess up, I think, the communications around that. 
and we'll actually see how many people actually want to get involved but they're trying to include people in in this event and if you think back um you know just the the king's grandfather their way of including more people in that coronation was inviting four members of the working classes so they've made some progress at least some progress at least. I don't suppose you're watching that because you're probably talking to me, but can I just point out Princess of Wales' shoes were absolutely fabulous there. I do think something will be written about the fashion stakes for Max if you don't want to weigh in on that. Anna, you can. Or maybe not. <laughs> she looked great. I I'm excited. I think it's going to be a fabulous couple of days. I think uh, great. Ma I just like talking to Max Foster about royal outfits. This is his favourite topic, I think. We'll both go silent and let him speak. <laughs> He's like... Connection mm -hmm. issues. Max Foster, outside Buckingham Palace there. Thank you so much. I, could oh. I mean, I have had oh. to talk about Kate's for your shoes many, many times <laughs> in the past. I can talk to you about how she wears these particular heels that don't sink into grass. I've got it all down. And how she moves her feet in a particular way. Yeah. She can Max. actually do a side shuffle in heels. So it wow. looks as if she's moving towards someone. Um, wow. Without um, actually walking towards them. Anyway, Anna lessons. knows more about this than me, so don't let Anna. her project that one onto me. <laughs> We're out of time. It's a whole other episode. Anna Stewart, Max Foster. <laughs> Thank you both. We're back after this. Stay with First and Welcome back to First Move. Millions of Brits are planning an overnight domestic break for the coronation weekend, delivering an estimated £1.2 billion, or equivalent to $1.5 billion, boost to the economy, according to the Tourism Board Visit England, from dining out and sharing a pint to taking in a show in the West End. Millions of pounds are expected to pour into London's hotels, pubs and theatres and beyond. Tourism chiefs say the coronation is also a magnet for Americans in particular, playing a major part in Britain's tourism recovery. And joining us now to discuss is Patricia Yates, CEO of Visit Britain and Visit England. Patricia, fantastic to have you on the show. Just talk us through what your expectations are for this long weekend. Well, as you've said, we are going to be out partying and going away for the weekend and going to pubs and restaurants and hotels and having a great weekend. Um, and, uh, and that's right across the country. There is a government UK website that has events right across the country. And then internationally, we're seeing that our American visitors are 10% up in May, our Western European visitors are 10% up. And I should say, the British recovery is really being driven by the American market, our most valuable market, that real connection with our history and heritage. So it will be great to host so many of them over this long weekend. Yeah, I'm sure some of them also um, booked trips when we saw uh, a week of pounds, though it's certainly recovered now. Can you break that um, £1.2 billion sum into where you're expecting it to come from, whether it's a piece of, of tourism, of hotel receipts, money spent, as you said, partying perhaps in some of um, Britain's infamous pubs around the country as well? C can you break it down? Um, well, the 1.2 billion is what people tell us they're going to say. Um, if you look at what some of the trade bodies are talking about, hospitality is talking about 300. And 50 uh, million pounds of revenue. The West End Company, 
talking about £50 million of spend just in the West End alone, so that's on our shops and retail. Um, and then pubs, talking about £72 million extra pints being, being pulled over the weekend. Wow. So right across, right across the hospitality sector. And I should say, this isn't just about people coming this weekend, though, of course, they are really welcome and will have a great time. Um, it's about those millions of people who will see us on their screens and will see history and heritage brought to life. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing weekend. And really, you have to come to Britain to experience that. Yeah, I was just looking at the numbers for the British Beer and Pub Association because I do think those 72 million extra pints drunk were apparently going to equate to £120 million of additional spending this weekend. You can count on the Brits. Um, to your point, and I think it's a very important one, it's not just about this weekend. It's a, a showcase, too, for all things on offer if tourists do want to come to the UK and, and see what's on offer here. And you expect to see a, a longer-lasting bump in terms of tourism receipts. I know it's difficult, but can you quantify that too? And there's a purpose for me asking. Well, we we are forecasting, we've got a very bullish forecast for this year, that our um, income will be uh, £29.5 billion. So that's back to pre-COVID levels. And visitor numbers about 86%. So they're slightly slower. So what we can see is people are coming, they're staying slightly longer and they're spending more. And throughout the summer, our attractions, our hotels are doing coronation-themed events, coronation-themed exhibitions. And we know historically when there's been a big, big event like Wills and Kate's wedding, that people have come in numbers to see those royal events and those royal occasions um, and, and to be part of that even months after the event. Yeah, there's all sorts of speculation about what this is ultimately going to cost in terms of coronation spending. And I'll hone in on just one of them, which is around £100 million. Um, if we put that into perspective relative to the bump that you're talking about seeing in terms of tourism receipts and, and a boost to the economy, then, then it's dwarfed. But do you understand those that say, um, perhaps in the midst of a, a cost of living crisis, this is not the time to be making this spending? And, and what's your response to those in light of the conversation that we've just had? What do they need to understand? Well, what I see post-COVID and, and what I hear around me is that people are so fed up with being on their own in a room. And what we have at the moment is a real sense of community and of excitement and people want to be together and enjoying that, whether that's the people who are camping on the mall and have been there for days, whether it's the people who are going to turn up tomorrow, whether it's people who are going out to their villages um, to have lunches tomorrow. So I think that real community feel that is right across the country. Um, and tourism is a very important industry. And our history and heritage is our big draw internationally. And the royal family is intrinsically linked with that. So when you look at the major attractions like Westminster Abbey, like the Tower of London, like Windsor Castle, they all have that royal thread running through them. Yeah, and final question, Patricia, because I do think the point that you're making is a, is a vital one. And um, we don't have to go into the, the numbers of this because I know it's complicated and some of it's subjective. But in your mind, the royal family, the monarchy is a net financial contributor to, to the UK economy and to tourism. 
Well, what I would say is for any destination that has history and heritage as its main draw, the problem is how do you say to people, you have to come this year um, because it could be the same as it was 100 years ago and will be the same as 100 years in the future. What the royal family and events like we're seeing over the weekend give us is that sense of immediacy, that sense of experience um, and that connection to new and younger generations who think, yes, I'd like to go, I'd like to go and experience that and be part of that. So I, I think, you know, there's, there's the places that we are really strong at but the people is part of that story. Yes, something quintessentially British and uh, it'll certainly be on show in the next 24 hours. Patricia, great to have you with us. Thank you. Patricia Yates. Thank you, Julia. Britain. Thank you. Okay, coming up here on First Move, a banking bounce and a jobs jolt. US stocks on target for a strong open. The early numbers just ahead. Welcome back to First Move and another Jobs Friday in the United States ahead of Coronation Saturday here in the UK. More special CNN coverage of the coronation of King Charles III in just a moment. But first, US stocks solidly higher in early trade this Friday. All the major averages bouncing back after four straight days of losses. A much needed rally too in regional US bank shares helping the market mood. Early session gains for beaten down names like PacWest and First Horizon. Wow, look at that bounce in PacWest. Also today, a surprisingly strong new read on US jobs. 253,000 jobs added to the US economy net last month, some 70,000 more than expected. The first time in three months that jobs growth has accelerated. That said, we did see some sharp revisions downwards in the months of February and March. Almost 150,000 jobs fewer than originally reported. So always watch the revisions. Neela Richardson joins us now. She's chief economist at payroll processing and human resources firm ADP. Neela, great to have you on the show as always. What did you make of these numbers? Thanks for having me. These numbers were really, really strong. Yeah. We saw broad-based hiring across a variety of industries from professional business services, information and technology, to social services. Even those industries that had big headlines in the United States about layoffs, they hired in April. That's really important. That brought the overall un unemployment rate to 3.4% in the United States. That's near or at record lows. I mean, this is astonishing. If you could have said to Jay Powell and the crew at the Federal Reserve a year ago, guys, it's going to be OK. You can raise interest rates from zero to, to five percent and you're going to have a three point two percent unemployment rate. They would have said, awesome, we'll take it. I, I hope they would say that as inflation is going down. That's really, really important. In fact, the strongest uh, real indicator of what's going on in the labor market and on the inflation front is the, the pay data. And here mm. we saw that average hourly earnings in the United States creeped up a little bit. If you look at the ADP numbers, and we pay uh, one in six workers in the United States, so around 20% of the U.S. workforce, we see those uh, numbers. Uh, we're actually seeing some deceleration in pay growth. That's also a good sign for the Fed that they won't be uh, battling wage growth as they're trying to fight inflation as well. That's a fascinating point, because I was going to ask you about that, because this jars slightly with the data that we got from, from you guys at ADP earlier this week. Um, what do you make then of some of the 
increased pressure that we've seen in these numbers, you're saying that's perhaps an anomaly simply because you you have a really good sense of the market, given that, that you process what, as you said, 20 percent. So perhaps trust the ADP numbers on this rather than what feels to be sort of pushy inflationary once again on the wage data in these farm payroll numbers. Yeah, we're, we're going to see numbers bump around and mm. survey data, which is what the BLS relies on. Those are going to bump a little bit, but they're in line and they show if you look over several months, a deceleration in wage growth. The ADP numbers are actual payrolls. And what we've seen is a, a significant slowdown in April, especially for people who switched jobs over the last year. And those people are much more subject to local and real time labor market conditions. So overall, across the board, we're seeing a deceleration in pay growth, which doesn't seem so exciting to the average worker, but it is um, good in terms of keeping inflation contained so that you actually feel the benefit of a a pay increase. Yeah. And and to your point, there's a sheer quantity volume of data difference that we have to um, focus on, and it's very important at this moment. Um, The thing that we were discussing last time, and I found it quite interesting, was the slower pace of hiring at larger firms that was also allowing some of the smaller and medium-sized firms to finally be able to hire the people that they need, and that might also be putting a bit of downward pressure on the wage growth that we were seeing too. Is that still what you're seeing? That's an excellent point, and thank you for recalling it. Yes, we're seeing small firms really start to hire. Um, They had been blocked out last year by a larger firm hiring. They couldn't compete in terms of pay increases. They couldn't compete in the same way in terms of benefits. Now that larger firms are starting to kind of pull back some of their hiring, it does add a little room. And you can see that that smaller firms are hiring, but they're not increasing their pay growth at the same time. They're able to hold the line on pay growth while making moves on hiring. And that shows that even though these numbers are strong and the unemployment rate is low, the labor market overall is loosening. It's allowing smaller players to actually uh, be able to add headcount. Okay, so we're going to go full circle here and sort of begin where we started or end where we started, which was what does this mean for the Federal Reserve? They indicated that they might be ready to pause. The market clearly expects them to based on, and it's only one data point, but this data today, do you think it's still okay that they've indicated a pause and can continue to do so? Or may there be more work to do? You know, the Fed is going to have to evaluate a lot of different signals, Mm. but the labor market signal is extremely strong. What you're seeing here is robust hiring and uh, overall a slowdown in pay growth. So that's a positive signal that the Fed can kind of put in their back pocket to say, okay, I'm going to look at the credit signals. I'm going to look at the consumer signals. I'm going to look at the economic growth signals. But I know that the labor market that signal continues to be robust. So I can really pay attention to these other factors going on in the economy. The labor market is actually adding strength and supporting the consumer. So I would read this data as one thing that the Fed doesn't have to worry about, which is the strength of the labor market in terms of helping the consumer. Yeah, and your point is vital. I think more important at this moment is credit conditions, what's going on in the banking sector and and the implications perhaps for lending to particularly small businesses and and the consumers, 70% of the economy, as as you always tell us. Um, Neela, brilliant to have you on, as ever. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the weekend. Chief Economist.
Thank you, I will. Chief Economist at ADP, you too. Coming up, doing what Britain does best, history and ceremony and some pomp. After the break, a majestic guide from a key figure in the King's procession, the Lord Mayor of London, joins us next. Welcome back to First Move and some royal fever on the show. Among the dignitaries taking part in Saturday's historic coronation ceremony will be the Lord of Mayor of London. My next guest, Nicholas Lyons, leads the City of London Corporation and acts as a global ambassador for the UK's financial and professional services industry. Now, he'll be carrying this 600-year-old crystal scepter during the King's procession. It was a gift from King Henry V to the City of London and is the city's most ancient treasure. And he will be wearing these ceremonial robes, last used by his predecessor for the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Nicholas Lyons is the Lord Mayor of London, and he joins us now. Lord Mayor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, The Lord Mayor's participation in coronations dates back to the 14th century, um, whether that's the royal procession or beyond. How does this moment feel personally, but also for the City of London? Well, of course, it's a great privilege and an honour to be taking part in such a a wonderful uh, uh, and traditional ceremony. Um, But of course, it is also a very great symbol of the long-term relationship between uh, the monarchy and the City of London, a relationship that goes back a thousand years. Can you talk to us about some of the rehearsals that you've taken part in? I think there's some obvious questions, which is how heavy is the scepter, what's it like in person? I'm sure you've already seen it. Or have you? I have. No, I was at a, a dress rehearsal yesterday. I was <laughs> six, six hours at Westminster Abbey. Uh, there's a lot of sitting around um, and processing. But I've got to tell you that um, when the, it's a very large procession that takes part on the way in, a much smaller procession that takes part on the way out. But on the way in, two sides of the cloisters of Westminster Abbey were filled with people in the, all of their finery. And when, before the dress rehearsal started, the actual crown jewels were delivered to the various people carrying scepters and crowns and orbs and swords, it was um, absolutely uh, spectacular and riveting. Um, but it is, um, it is going to be a really marvellous ceremony and a great, great uh, tribute to um, uh, King Charles and Queen Camilla. Just describe that moment too, because I can imagine... We see these things. You can obviously go and visit the Tower of London and see some of the crown jewels. But that moment when you saw such a collection all in one place, for many of us, it's been 70 years since the last coronation. For for many of us seeing a collection like this, it's only ever been on video. And it's something I think that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Yes, and it's one thing to see it close up, but it's another thing Mm. actually to carry one of those items. And as you say, quite rightly, I, I... I carry um, the crystal scepter, which was given by Henry V after the Battle of Agincourt. It was traditional that the king would come to the city of London to borrow money to raise an army, which, of course, happened um, back in the early 15th century. The city, being good bankers, took uh, collateral of the loan. Uh, We took the crown jewels as collateral to make sure that we got (laughs) our money back. And the gift from Henry V when he won the Battle of Agincourt and got his crown jewels back was this amazing crystal scepter, um, which is very beautiful. It's not very heavy, but I wouldn't want to be holding it for more than the two hours that I will be holding it. Uh, It's absolutely um, priceless. So 
I'm wearing some uh, calfskin gloves to give myself a proper grip on it uh, so I don't drop it, which would be not what I want to be remembered for. Yes, you hope the cameras aren't on you if, uh, <laughs> if that <laughs> moment comes about. Um, can we also talk about your robe as well? Because yes. In many ways, it's true to the uh, ethos of sustainability, I think, that King Charles has promoted for, what, more than, more than 50 years. And this dates back to the coronation of, of Queen Elizabeth II. Yes. Well, it's a bit of luck because um, traditionally there is a new robe made for each coronation and it is then mm. given to the Lord Mayor, who has the honour and privilege of wearing it for the coronation, um, for his or her use. But the uh, Lord Mayor in 1953 was Sir Rupert de la Baer, uh, who was a, a member of the Skinner's Livery Company. And uh, after he had worn his uh, coronation robe, he gave it to the Skinner's Company. So they have kept it for 70 years, and they very kindly offered to, to lend it to us. Um, I'm actually a merchant tailor, and there's a, there's a lot of history between the merchant tailors and the Skinner's. We had great rivalries in old days, but we're great <laughs> friends now. It's just as well I'm a merchant tailor, because <laughs> the, the state of it after 70 years meant that it needed some work. Oh, Okay. I'm glad that the rivalry is over now because otherwise you oh, would yes. be seen wearing the, the opposition's <laughs> robe. Is that heavy too and is it warm? It's warm, but it's not too heavy. It, it's actually a, a, a cape. It sits on my shoulders and is fastened with a chain at the neck. So it's, it's quite comfortable. But I do wear um, black velvet court dress and breeches uh, uh, underneath it. So um, happily, the Westminster Abbey is not that hot. So I don't think I'm going to ov overheat <laughs> Nor too drafty either, because <laughs> uh, as, as we know, it's an old building. Uh, you've represented the city finance through numerous previous iterations of your careers as well. And, and obviously there's been a debate about not only the role of the monarchy going forward, but the cost of the coronation, the challenges for many uh, in the United Kingdom amid a, a cost of living crisis. Lord Mayor, what's your view on, on all of this and 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 what this moment means for the people, but also perhaps what they need to understand about what monarchy and events like this represent too. Yeah, I look, I, I think if you look around the world, um, when Her Late Majesty died and we had her funeral, the whole world, literally the whole world, mm. took their hat off and bowed to this country for the pomp and the, and the ceremony and the beautiful way that we paid our respects to a remarkable monarch. Um, that is a, a, you know, an irreplaceable competitive advantage, and uh, we should play with that with uh, uh, trepidation. So, look, I think the, the role of the monarchy is integral to what makes the United Kingdom great. Um, I am a great optimist. The financial services sector that I represent is a, an absolute uh, jewel in the crown for the UK. Uh, and we need, as a country now, to get onto the front foot. We put um, the, the past of six years behind us, um, we're through COVID. Of course, there are significant economic challenges. Of course, we have to make sure that we have a safety net for those who are most vulnerable in our society. But we can't pay for the health services and the care services and the education services that we want to have, uh, let alone you know, defence and, uh, and, and, and policing unless we have growth in the economy and uh, a, a really sort of productive economy. And it needs the financial services sector and the City of London to prime the pump for that and make sure that capital is allocated as effectively as possible. So there is great um, uh, interaction now with the government and indeed with the Labour Party about what growth and investment in the UK can look like. And we as a nation need to get on the front foot again 
We need to be confident. We need to be bold. We have a great future ahead of us. And the monarchy sits on top of all of that. And it's, when I travel abroad, everybody loves the British monarchy and it, they, they will be talking to me for the rest of my mayoralty about the coronation, I'm quite sure. <laughs> we wish you luck, sir. Good luck with the Thank gloves. You. Please don't drop it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we'll speak Thanks to Thanks very much. Thank you. The Lord Mayor of London there, Nicholas Lyons. Thank you once again. Okay, more on coronation preparation after this short break. We're live at Buckingham Palace as the finishing touches are added to Saturday's historic ceremony. That's next. Welcome back to First Move, where excited royal fans are out and about in London and beyond preparing for King Charles III's coronation tomorrow. A little earlier, we saw the king on a walkabout along the mall near Buckingham Palace, meeting and greeting and shaking hands with people in the crowd. And the Prince of, Princess of Wales, too, were also out shaking hands, waving lots of smiles and celebrations, it seems. Now, to ensure everyone is kept safe, more than 29,000 police officers have been deployed across London, firearm officers, dog handlers, mounted police and helicopters, all part of what the police call Operation Golden Orb. Royal correspondent Max Foster is outside Buckingham Palace, warmed up and ready to go. Max, it is going to be, I think, an incredible spectacle over the next couple of days. Um, I could talk to you about Princess Kate's shoes, but I'm going to skip over that and ask you another awkward question. How many times have you been asked what role Harry's going to play and whether or not he'll be on the balcony tomorrow? What can we expect? Yeah, I mean, you are asking the crucial question about the balcony yeah. because it's the one part of the entire day that we haven't had confirmed. They say they're going to make a decision in the moment, so how they feel. Uh, just so you know, um, the whole of the front of the palace, all of those rooms there, they're all being renovated. It's literally like a building site. So the room where they come out literally has floorboards missing. They've had to put them back in to get the family through. So they do have to be quite organised. They have to decide you know, a bit ahead of time who's going to come out. Cynics would argue the reason they're not telling us is because it's not entirely clear whether or not Harry either will be invited or has been invited and hasn't responded. It's not entirely clear what the situation is there. We know he's coming to the service. He won't be coming with the rest of his family. My feeling is, I have to say, Julia, uh, I'll put my neck out a bit and say, I think he will be given a prominent position in the church because if he's there, he is there as the king's son, and that is a senior position in the family. He won't have a, any sort of role, though, because he's not a working royal. If it's just the king and queen up there on the balcony, he won't be there. It could possibly be with um, the Waleses, potentially. That would be the work working royals. But if they decide to have the entire family with all the cousins filling up the whole balcony, it certainly you know, wouldn't look out of place there. I just don't know whether or not he's even been invited there and what sort of discussions are going on behind the scenes. But it's one of the things that adds a bit of tension to the day. We don't know what's going to happen. We like, we like surprises, though. I, for me, I would love to see a family moment, but I, I know it's complicated. So um, we'll keep guessing. Max, thanks for putting your neck out there. Great to have you with us, as always. Max Foster, thank you. And that's it for the show. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is up next. Have a happy coronation weekend for all those that care and are watching. We'll see you next week. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level.
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.